Hi folks, Terry here, just dropping in before the episode to drop you a quick note and let you know that at the end of this episode, at the very end, after the music's finished, there's a special bonus bit for you because we have started recording a bonus episode after every green room called the Green Room Extra. This is where Chris brings to me a topic that I have no idea what this topic is, but we're going to talk about it for a little while. So make sure you hang about to the end to get that bonus clip and hear me have a slight mental breakdown. But for now, let's get stuck into this episode. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast Green Room Edition, where we speak to you about current topics and news within the industry. And today, as always, we've got a very lovely show for you. I am joined by the ever-delightful Chris Spencer. How are we doing, Chris? Hello, Terry. I'm great. Uh, yes, re- recovering from a, a long day on Friday at the DIA conference. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to telling you all about it. Excellent. I look forward to asking you. Uh, and later on in the show, we're going to be joined by James Luckhurst of Project Edward, which is every day we've got a road death. And we're going to be talking about uh, their road safety campaign, the podcast they've got coming out, their, uh, their big event they've got later on in the year, and what we can do as ADIs to uh, sort of support that and what we can do around road safety yourselves other than just potentially delivering lessons. But there has been some news. There's always news. What I found is by doing these shows monthly, there's always news. Uh, So I want to dive into first about mock tests because as we're recording this, it did come out this week that the DVSA sent out their email and their blogs and their webinars about uh, mock tests and how important they are and... Uh, it's kind of like the be all end all, and almost saying that they're. I think if they could make a mandatory, they'd make them mandatory. That's the impression I got. So, as always, I'm just going to throw over to you and ask you for your overriding thoughts on the issue, Chris. The DVSA are the gift that keeps on giving, aren't they? Um, so, I I'm really torn. I, I have two views on it, and I don't quite know which ones I'm going to, you know, where I'm going to finish off. Mock tests are really good, but where they haven't defined it for me is why. What's the purpose? What are we trying to do with the mock test? And and then have, having at the conference listened to Loveday Ryder, CEO of the DVSA, talking about the mock tests, I think I disagree. So to quote her, she said, mock tests should only be done when the learner is ready meaning they've yeah, gone through the syllabus and, and they're at that point. It was followed by the statement of mocks are a guide to the learning process. Now, that sounds like they should be done earlier on and should be, you know, right, let, let's, do, let's do a mock and see where you're at, see where the, any, any holes are that we can then go and work on. So I think the DVSA version of the mock test and what, I think should be used and what I would use in my training are different because they're looking at it as preparation for the for the driving test, for preparing your pupil for the test process, for do, being a, a caricature of an examiner um, and, and introducing all of those things that you're going into face. Whereas actually, I think they can be done in lots of different ways, including something that I know that you call a mini mock. 
And I think those kind of approaches, it doesn't need to be the full thing. So I, I want to know, as we've said on numerous other episodes, there's got to be a catchphrase in there somewhere. We need more information. Please, can you define it? Because I don't quite know. I don't think I agree with what they're asking. I agree with what they're saying. But our version of it. Sorry. Uh, sorry. I think that the issue I've got is that my head was already hurting slightly from the email, and now it hurts a little bit more. Um, have you ever spoken to your partner, you've fallen out with your partner, and your partner has said, it's not what you've said, it's the way you said it? I think that's what it feels like whenever the DBSA sends an email out to me. Yes. I kind of like the premise of what they're saying, but they don't necessarily say it in a very pleasant way. It always feels a little bit like an attack. It always feels a bit like, you know, even this, you're responsible for the backlog. This is how you're fixing the backlog. I think it's a little bit more like, I'm not going to tell you what you've done wrong. You should know. And I think that's possibly closer. Because the actually, if you're a, a new instructor, if you're a PDI, they've done a really good job of putting together a document that talks you through the process, remembering that until very recently, PDIs and new ADIs hadn't been in the back of driving tests. So they haven't got that awesome experience and catalogue of experience of being able to see lots of tests and figure out how the whole system works, what it is in reality, what is a fault, what's not a fault. So I think, you know, for, for people like that, people that haven't been engaged in the testing process, they've done a cracking job on that. I, I, I really do applaud it. I think it's been well written, having to say that more and more about DVSA stuff. But... I think it's minimum standards and it's what they think a mock test is for, but they haven't defined that at the beginning. And if you don't define it, people are going to have a mix of opinions and be confused, as as I feel both of us possibly are. Yeah, I think I, I wholeheartedly agree uh, with what you said there. I think that as a resource, it's actually really good. Um, and I think the full credit to them for that. You know, they've sent out the email, which is pretty good. They've put in their blog and they've arranged these webinars, which, again, great. You know, I'm, I'm pleased about that. I think for me, it's it's more of this is what you should be doing. Don't tell me what I should be doing in that sense, because to me, from, from my experience and speaking to other instructors, now there's no definitive evidence here, but from my experience, a mock test doesn't have any major impact on whether people pass the test or not and in, until until it's done nationwide and maybe it has been i don't know um i wouldn't know but for me it's if they'd have sent that email out and it goes back to what i was saying it's not what you said it's the way you said it and just said well a lot of you was asked for this so here's our guide and our suggestion on how to help with mock tests that's probably going to be taken taken very differently. But I also know that uh, as I'm recording this, I did mention then about evidence being seen and, and you started flailing arms about everywhere, Chris. So, so, so go on, what have I said wrong? No, no, not wrong at all. I, again, I think this is about the definition of what we're trying to achieve. So I talk to a lot of instructors about the stuff that isn't on the test. It's not, to reluctantly say it, it's not level one and two of the GDE matrix. So it's not car control. It's not, you know, hands and feet. 
it's not the road and how the road works. It's about the personal response. You're putting them into a test. If they're not psychologically ready, if they're not in the right frame, if they don't know what to expect, they're going to drive differently to how they've driven with you in the car. The same is true for when they've got the mates in the back. They're going to drive differently to how they drove with you in the car. I've had some fascinating conversations with pupils about how they've fallen apart when their parents are in the car, but they're perfectly fine at driving the rest of the time. It's that that pressure. And I think as a way of preparing people for this is what's going to be expected, this is it. So you know what you're going into. I hate walking into a room where I don't know the process. Um, it, it's like going to a, a posh restaurant and being confronted with 20 different lots of knives and forks in front of you. You need to know the rule, which is you start on the outside and work your way in. But it doesn't necessarily translate that way. So you, we say to them, we've done it before. We, we've been there. So we are desensitized to that. They're not. And it's also not our test. So they'll have heard from their friends. They'll have heard from their parents. There'll be different pressures. All of those psychological factors that we are really aware of. So many instructors turn around and say, but I can't do anything about them. Yes, you can. And this is one of the tools to do that. Um, so what I do personally is about with an average, whatever the hell that is, people, um, about eight to ten hours in kind of when not the can't even drive roundabouts independently, but they can drive roundabouts. So getting to that kind of point, which I accept could differ in different areas of the country. I'm lucky I've got some awesome roads. I can do a reasonable mock test to a DVSA standard. And we go into it knowing that they're not going to pass it because that's not the aim. What we're doing is we're looking at what the goal is. One of the goals along the way. We look at what they need to achieve. And then I say, so if I get you to a point where you can pass that, will you feel comfortable driving every day with your friends in the car, going out on your own, doing all these things? And they say, hell no, because I need more. I, I need to feel really confident, not just be able to go and do that, because that's actually quite easy. And then they panic less on the test. And there's other tools you can use as well. You said... Um... Uh, to the DVSA standard. What's the DVSA standard? What did I say when I said DVSA standard? <laughs> you said you do a mock test in your area. It's the oh. DVSA standard. So uh, to to the standard which is required for a uh, driving test, which is beautifully explained in the whole mock test criteria. So actually, they, they have explained it really well in there, what's expected, uh, what needs to be in a test. So I, I cover... A manoeuvre, I cover a mix of road conditions. We do sat-nav drive. I normally do both, a bit of sat-nav, half, half and half, sat-nav and follow road signs. Because um, it also helps me realise whether they're going to have an issue following road signs um, due to something like dyslexia. I have one lad on stationary, read anything, no problem. Moving, uh, this is me putting my hand up. We found that one out on the driving test. Luckily, <laughs> awesome examiner. <laughs> um he, he came to me late i was doing a kind of recovery stuff effectively and um, we didn't do follow road signs uh going along please follow the signs for whatever the destination was and he said i can't read any of the words on that 
Um, and she sort of looked at me blankly and I sort of shrugged. And he said, sorry, I'm dyslexic and I've just figured out when I'm moving, I can't read signs. So she was brilliant and, and sorted it and he passed. Um, so, you know, again, all credit to the DBSA because uh, his instructor was clearly crap. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going story time for a second. I had a lad a couple of years ago, a uh, really good kid. He was driving really well. He had his test book before he came to me, um, but not like short notice. He just had it booked. I think he moved instructors from where rightly. Ready for his test, you know. Pretty, yeah, from what I can recall, this was going back a few years, but it was, it was, you know, I was happy putting him for his test. I was happy sat next to him when he was driving. Until the day of his test, when his driving started going really, really bad. And at first, I'm thinking it's nerves. So I had a bit of a chat about nerves. And it carried on like, something's not right here. And he completely just missed this sign. I forget what it was. So anyway, he pulled up and I'm asking about his eyesight. And is there a problem with your eyesight? And I'm sure I've done this eyesight check with him. I know I've done it. So I says, let's do the eyesight check again. So we're getting to read this number plate and he can't do it. I said, walk forward until you get to the number plate and then stop when you can read it. And he was about three metres from the number plate. I'm like, what's happened? And he had glasses on. And I says, what's happened? And he's like, oh, they're not my glasses. They're my friends. I've lost mine. So I'm using these. I'm like, no, that that's not how it works. And I says, well, we can't go through your test. And he's like, can't you just take me? I'm like, no, no, because they won't take you out because you can't see. And then I realized, no, that's not the reason I'm not taking you. I'm not letting you drive my car because you can't see. And he anyway, wasn't happy that I took him. But anyway, there you go. That's story time over. Um, but <laughs> with these mock tests, with the, the DBSA's guide, and this is the thing for me, if you use this as a reference, as another a tool for your toolkit where you can take it away and offer mock tests if the students want them or whatever. I think it's a brilliant resource and a brilliant help for us. I really do. Genuine question, is it making the DVSA and the whole thing more test-focused or is it just providing us a resource to help with the test when, as Loveday Rider said, and then contradicted, they're ready? I think the problem is that uh, that a, mo- a good mock test will be based on the DBSA standard. So what we should be doing is mock testing their real life skills um, and, and not the DBSA standard. So actually, yes, doing a, you know, doing a, doing a, a mock test. Now, does that move away from it being a mock test? Should we not be using the phrase mock test? Because actually, we've all had the pupils who just want to do mocks. I'll do a mock every week and eventually I'll get there because that's what they do in schools. But they've sat in the classroom for two, three years studying that subject. That's why they've moved on to mocks, because they've got to that point where they are revising the skills. So if we then move away from the mock test sheet to uh, a standards check sheet and we have a good goal we have the risk mitigation um which is stolen from carly brookfield um as an alternative to the risk risk assessment uh, i think it's a much better phrase I'm, I'm i'm stealing that one and we have a good lesson with good feedback at the end if that structure is done well and it's a forward focused goal then that kind of comes off the back of an assessment. So I think it's not a mock test. I think it's it's an assessment. 
and then I think there's a good goal. And then what the DVSA are asking for is actually the prep for the test day so that other stuff doesn't get in the way. And I think the problem is, as always happens, there's a real muddying of the water, either through poor communication or by a, from assumption by instructors um, who all of us talk first and then think later. Um, you know, we're, you and I are the worst. <laughs> we practically get paid to do that. Um, so, so it is. It, there's a real muddying, and I think what we need is for that mud to settle a bit, like the tip, the 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 um, the criteria for the standards check um, allocation. And what we needed was a bit of time for that to settle, so we all understood it. I think. It's a good mock tests are an important tool, as you said, for the toolbox, but they are not the be all and end all. What we need to be identifying is what are the things we need to use those tools on and when. And I think if we can figure that out, which is it's possibly that we put the cart before the horse, if we can figure that out, what are we trying to achieve first? And then here's a tool that we might be able to use. Brilliant. I think when you go to high school, or when kids go to high school nowadays, they, they go to school and they start learning stuff based on the foundation of knowledge they've already got. And they then build on that knowledge, expand on it, and they get to the point where they're quite proficient at it. They then do a mock test to practice what it's going to be like for the real GCSEs or whatever, and then they go and take the real GCSEs. That's essentially what we do as instructors. They've got a foundation of knowledge already. Some people have more knowledge or experience than others, so they've got this. We help them build on that. We help them learn and get to a point where they're proficient. And then they potentially, if they want to or whatever, depending on what instructor it is, some will force it, some will refuse, some will ask. They will then do a mock test, which will hopefully help them see what the test is going to be like. And then they will do a test. And I found it interesting when you were talking about the the test and, and it sort of being a psychological thing because it, it just resonated for me a little bit. And literally today as we record this, uh, I was practicing bear parking and um, you mentioned my my mini mocks or mini mocks or spot mocks. So you'll, you'll be pleased about this story, Chris, but we were doing uh, bear parking and she said, can I got this one by myself? And I'm like, yeah, how about you do it like a, a mini mock? So we do it as if you're on driving test. And she went, yeah, and I almost got excited about it. Yeah, let's see if I can do that. Let's see if I can pass. And she went to pull out and then stopped immediately. And she said, because there's nothing behind me but like a hedge, I said, do I need to check my blind spot? And I said, you should have discussed that with your instructor beforehand. Unfortunately, I'm not in a position to give you advice now. So she then did the manoeuvre, and it was brilliant. But she then said to me, she found that really helpful because she suddenly clicked with her. Crap, I can't ask the examiner stuff like that. So it does have a benefit, or they can have a benefit, even if it's not necessarily the benefit you expect. But the other thing I just want to mention before we sort of wrap up, tie the bow on this, um, the webinars. Now, I think that's great. I think they've put out this, you know, an email that's really comprehensive. They've got the blog up. They've got links to different parts of it. I think it's been brilliantly written and, you know, put out by someone that was a former ADI as well. So they've got the experience there. And they're putting out the webinars, which is great. So get signed up to one. And I'm pretty sure 
that if you sign up to it and can't make it, you'll be able to download it after or go back. I don't know if they'll release it all publicly, but there you go. The So the other thing I'm just going to say on that, and, and I realize that we like to have a bit of a moan on this show, um, and everyone likes a bit of a moan, Literally, the DBSA have given you a resource. They've given you a written resource that's very comprehensive. They've given you now a visual resource that's going to come out in webinars that you can access at any time you don't have to attend the webinars, although I'd imagine that's probably the best scenario. So let's just take it. I think that's a win. Let's just take it and see if there's anything that can benefit us. And if there's nothing that can benefit you individually, well, so what? It's going to help a lot of people. So I'd say just let's try and be a bit positive about that, even if it still goes down the line of it's not what you said, it's the way you said it. Um, anything else to add on to the mock test scenario, Chris? No, but I reserve the right to come back to it in a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's... Uh, You'll see it's, why. Yeah, it's, it's trying to find out whether the DBSA are test focus or not, I suppose, isn't it? But either way, um, so let's move on, because I want to ask you sort of briefly about the DIA conference, because this was another show that I didn't attend, but I know you have. So firstly, without any comparison to, to previous ones, I'd just like to know your initial thoughts on it, uh, what you enjoyed, maybe what you were not so pleased with. Do I get to compare in a minute? Yes, I'll give you that opportunity. <laughs> I want a standalone first. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've just got a really good comparison. I got an, a nice bag, which was which was good. Um, I, I like going to a conference where where they realise that they're going to give you stuff, and it'd be nice to put it in something. So yes, um, no, it, it was it was good. It's a lovely environment, except for the fact that cars going around the track all day. Sorry, it was at Brands Hatch. Um, cars going around the track all day sound like bees. Then you get the lovely San Harper. Um, saying that they sound like bees when she's doing a whole mindfulness exercise and all you can think about is this bee, bee swarm outside. You can't tune it out once she's tuned it in. Um, but it was lovely. I got to meet her and felt like I already knew her and she was really confused as to why I felt like I knew her. And it's because we talk about her all the time. Friend of the show. Um, so, uh, so we had things from mindfulness through to the DVSA through to GDPR. Now, those things don't join up, but it was done really well in a web uh, a workshop setting. So there was information, and um, and it, it was it was delivered nicely with a cracking lunch. And everybody knows that I will judge a course uh, or a conference solely on whether I get fed well. Did they have a good vegan option? Uh, do you know, actually, they, they probably weren't that vegan or vegetarian friendly. Um, there was a reasonable salad, but no, it was quite meat heavy. <laughs> the, the, that was a reasonable salad. That's yeah, like the worst yeah. description of a salad ever. Was, it was reasonable. So sometimes it's a bit of lettuce and you think I wouldn't eat that if I had to. But um, no, from, from a meat, meat eater's perspective, it was it was very good. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm not sure what they did, but they did ask about dietary requirements beforehand. So I, I you know, rather than say that they upset you and your people, um, uh, they they probably did cater for it um, adequately because I, I say it was it was well catered, which is nice. Reasonable salad and me and my people. <laughs> there we go. Um, all right, so 
This is the the third so far this year, unless I'm missing one such show. We had the Driving Instructor Show. We had the Expo Conference South. So we've still got the the Midlands one to come. Uh, yep. And then obviously we had this one. So I just want to kind of talk a little. I know you compared the the Driving Instructor Show and the Expo South in a previous episode. So I just want to throw uh, the IA Conference into that mix. The big comparison between the two was that this one was a, a ticketed, paid for event whereas the other two were free tickets to go along. So the other two were much more of an expo. So anyone who hasn't been to one, you go in, you walk around the trade stands, um, and there were talks going on, but it was almost as if they were a side feature, the talks, But for me at least. Uh, I know other people that went with a list of who they wanted to go and listen to. Uh, the ones that couldn't find someone they liked came and listened to me at the Driving Instructor Show, which was lovely. Um, and, uh, you know... It, that was almost a secondary thing. Uh, whereas the DIA event was much more structured and ordered. There was uh, an open presentation at the beginning section. We then uh, went had coffee and, and, and you know, then moved into lunch. And, and then in the afternoon, there were three workshops and you were divided up and the workshop uh, presenters moved between rooms uh, to come to you. Uh, so whether it's because I'm lazy or I'm happier when I'm being told what to do, I enjoy that format. I like that. Uh, there were still the stands there. There were a number of stands to go and talk to. Um, had some good chats with people there. And there were people that I hadn't been at the others and haven't encountered in the industry. So that was really nice. And some of the speakers during the day were from companies like Vago, the insurance company, uh, part of Admiral. And... Um, there was um, Pass Me Fast were talking uh, with uh, an expert who was uh, an expert in GDPR. So they'd teamed up and they were, were talking about how we need to protect ourselves. Um, so, so those things were, you know, were interesting. And, and I, I like that format. I'm not a browser. I, I, you know, if I'm going shopping, I like to know what I'm going to buy, go and buy it and go home. Um, I, you know, I won't spend a day wandering around the shops unless there's a good lunch. Um, so it says more about me. But I think it, it's interesting. It was very different to the other events. And if it's just down to the money, um, I think it was worth. I, you know, for, I think the tickets were, depending on whether you were a, a DIA member or not, um, it was between 60 and 79 quid or something like that, um, that, yeah, and, you know, let's take the top, the top price, 79 pounds, for a decent lunch, it was. I would say it was a probably twenty quid's worth of lunch if you made good use of it, as I did, and said yes, chuck everything on there, um, uh, and some really good speakers, and we got face to face time with Love Day Rider, uh, Laura, uh, Great Rex, awesome name, and she's lovely. Uh, who did the tip stuff. That's her idea. That's come out of her head. So, you know, she, we, we could blame her for all of that. But actually, she explained it so well. If if you're doing all right at the job, you, you know, you need to thank her for that one. Um, and, uh, yeah, say other people that were there that, you know, you got to have a real good chat with. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely has its place. Uh, and I, I would happily go to go to an, another one and uh, and listen to other things and it wasn't the same old same old which i think sometimes when you're 
trawling around an expo, it's lovely to see faces that you know and have a chat, but there's not that much new stuff necessarily that's coming. I Back on season one, I had Hayley Field on, who was a nutritionist, and she spoke about lunch less than you on this episode. Um, you, you said it was worth the price. Uh, you said yeah. it was worth the ticket cost. So yeah. putting you on the spot slightly, would you have paid that same ticket cost for the expo and for the driving instructor show? Um, I, I am aware it was half an hour down the road for me as well. So I didn't have the – well, I had the loss of a day's – earnings which i think we always have to take into account but sometimes if you're traveling that could be a day and a half um and the cost of staying somewhere so you know it was potentially twice that cost now with the expo it's it's not you've got the loss of the day and and you've got the the accommodation if you're staying so would i would i have paid that amount for the expos um yes i possibly wouldn't go to all of them so I wouldn't go to South and Midlands. Actually, being free, I'm likely to travel up and go and do it uh, and see what's different and see what there is to pick up, um, add to my free pen collection. Yeah, I, but I, I I like those things. I like finding new tools and, and everything else. Um, you know, it, it's whether you get enough value for that. And I think I'm just not good at have it you know finding my way around and, and finding that value i'm much better when someone else has sat there and gone right we've got to give value so how are we going to do that so i think yeah. i this is a really delicate statement because i know how much work goes into organizing an expo um i think that because it's the because the amount of work that has to go in to make it worthwhile um, with an expo, you have to do a lot of that work yourself to get the best out of it. I think some people have come away from the expos not feeling, because they're not experienced at doing it, not feeling that they got as much value for money as they would have done at something that was organised for them. I can see that. I think for me, the the cost thing, someone's got to pay for it. So it's either going to be the person going paying the ticket price or it's going to be the the people with the stands that are paying the, the, the price for the stand or whatever it is. And I, I think that's a really good point that I know a number of people that I would love to have a, a stand and, and be able to talk with and, and engage with who um, can't afford the, the high ticket price when it's a free event. So whereas they, you know, if, if it's a paid for event, there's you know potentially a lower cost to being there i know you still have to pay to have a to have a stand but i think there is a danger that we end up pricing out especially in an in industry of entrepreneurs as we are self-employed people that like to be independently thinking that come up with you know, and had all of lockdown to come up with some awesome stuff to actually get that out there you know Thank you again to, to Mike Spooner for supporting a number of those at the Driving Instructor Show. Um, you know, he, he made sure that if you wanted a stand and couldn't afford it, he would do what you could to, to help with the people who've written books and things like that, where you know, there's not much of a turnover, but it's important to have them there. So, yeah, I, it, there's room for everybody. Um, you know, keep, keep them coming. It's a shame that it sounds like there won't be another Driving Instructor Show, but um, I'm sure someone else will find an opportunity in that market. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a variety, but oh, you'll like this one. It's just come to me. You ready? Um, it sounds like you had a lovely day. Speaking of lovely days, I think you had um, 
and uh, let's say an incident potentially with a certain love day. Got to tell <laughs> us um, what what occurred. I, I I had the pleasure of sitting just just behind uh, Love Love Day Rider, um, and um, you know it, she she was great. She was very open with the room, was very honest with the room. I felt across the board. But there was one question uh, from an ADI called Elton, who was asking some really good questions during the day. And he asked whether uh, the DVSA's focus has become test focused rather than safe driving for life. And as I later put it, my, my passion got the better of me when Loveday said, no, we're 100% focused on safe driving for life. And I, and I did totally, you know, out of turn, shout out, um, not when it comes to cancelling the B plus E, the trailer test, uh, because I, I can't see how that is safe driving <laughs> for life at all. And we'll be, we could talk about that for hours. Um, it, it, it wasn't it, it was inappropriate. I'll put my hands up. Um, but I, I felt it was important. Uh, so I, I did later on you know, acknowledge that, that you know, maybe I shouldn't heckle quite so much. Um, but she she across the day was very engaging about ways that they're trying to improve things and everything else so you know i, I yeah I, I think she she probably she's probably forgotten about it now i'm still feeling the icy stare um but, yes. But yes engaging with others maybe i mean a couple of quick things so first of all um i recently did the episode of the green room the best of episodes one to ten and we did talk about it for hours <laughs> we did um <laughs> But uh, also, I, I think back to the episode I did with Richard Borges, uh, which was last year before the Expo last year when he had Love Day attending there. And uh, we made a plea of just saying, when you come, just be nice to her because we want her to come again. So we'll see if she turn the next time. And if she doesn't, we know who to blame. <laughs> anyway, we are, we're 35 minutes into the show and we haven't even set the table. So let's take a moment to set the table. Chris, uh, just before we are joined by uh, James Lockhurst of Project Edward, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the DITC and any of the other many projects you are involved in? I am Chris Benstead and I am the co-founder of the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective. The collective, if it's easier, if you don't like letters like Terry, um, and uh, we are a, the sound. The, I'll start that again. We are the signposting platform for the driving instructor industry, uh, having spent you know a, a, a day talking to people at all levels of the industry, from PDI up to experienced ADI. They're all still discovering things that are out there that are a benefit, and they know nothing about. So that's what we are designed to help. If you're looking for something, if you need some pointers, some guidance, and some possibly experienced uh, ears to listen to what you're planning and to point out some hurdles you might find along the way, that's what we do. We have a subscription membership, and we look forward to inviting you to it, which includes a student card, so you can get student discount wherever you go to shop. Awesome. And uh, as always, I am Terry Cook, the ever-delightful host of the Instructor Podcast, except for International Women's Day when I handed that reign over to uh, Emma Cottington, who did a splendid job. Uh, and you are listening to The Green Room episode. So a couple of quick things from me before we dive over. First of all, if you are enjoying these episodes, make sure you click subscribe, make sure you leave me a review, make sure you share it, but also make sure that you are going to check out the premium content because starting from tomorrow, which 
which is July the 1st. Uh, you, over in our premium members, are getting three new exclusive shows. Not only are you getting the two to three pieces of content I power every month, as well as the uh, discounts on Bob Mars Client Set of Learning and Go Roadie and the ADI slash PDI Doctor, you are also now getting these three bonus shows, one of which is San Harper, who Chris mentioned earlier. It was going to be doing a monthly show on mindfulness. Bob Morton is also joining me to do his own monthly show on how we can become better driving instructors. And I can exclusively reveal that he has given me the title for the first episode, which is... Why the fuck should I put my faith in you, you fat Geordie wanker? <laughs> that is the title of the first episode. Uh, and then I am also joined for the third show, which is Robin Bates, who is talking about how we can grow our audience. That's whether you want them to expand an audience to attract uh, PDIs or ADIs to your school, or you want to grow your Facebook page, YouTube channel, any of that. So we've got those three exclusive shows coming up over to the Instructor Podcast Premium, and it's still the same price. And there's another discount as well, which is San Harper is offering us a 10% discount on her courses, uh, on her course, sorry, uh, when she kicks off on July the 1st. So as you can see, that premium subscription just gets better and better. So go sign up for it. You'll find links in the show notes. I can visit the website, uh, www.theinstructorpodcast.com, or if you want to sign up straight away, patreon.com forward slash the instructor but that's enough about premium because if i'm editing this correctly in about five seconds you will hear a piece of audio and then we will start talking to james luckhurst And we are now joined by James Luckhurst of Project Edward. And Project Edward is every day without a road death. How are we doing, James? Very well, thanks, Terry. Thank you for joining us. Uh, people may recognise your dulcet tones way back from season one when you joined me to talk about it there. But, you know, a lot's changed since then. We've got a different event going on. So just want to refresh us a little bit and tell us a little bit about Project Edward. Project Edward stands for road death i was out running in 2015 and the idea came into my head and i thought oh that's worth having a having a look at at the time i was working as a media representative for a, a european road policing network um and that we were looking for some kind of public engagement operation opportunity and and that fit bill well so they said yes thankfully the european commission liked it uh, the European Transport Safety Council liked it and the police forces of Europe seemed to like it. And as an initiative, it was successful when we launched in uh, September of 2016. We have to be careful in, in defining what successful means, because if you call it a day without a road death, then we've never succeeded. But we still are very keen to raise awareness. And, and that has certainly worked and improved and increased year on year. So it was a day uh, back then, it was European day without a road death for the first three or four years of its existence. Um, we turned it into every day from 2020. And we have uh, a week of action now that um, thankfully with the, uh, the pandemic receding, we hope we're able to do more things, get out there and, and make it as, relevant and useful for road safety organizations, road safety professionals, driving instructors, police, emergency services, politicians, and the private sector who give us the support to, to make it run. 
So it's all looking good for 2022. We're kind of quite excited, really. And before I ask you about 2022 specifically, and I know I've, I've asked you this before, but it's something that always intrigues me. Because when you did come on on season one and I put that episode out, I did get a few comments saying that uh, every day without a road death isn't a realistic target. We shouldn't be setting that as a target. And I know that's something you've heard before. So what what's your response when people say that? I don't know that there can be any other target. You can't say to somebody, well, what's an acceptable number of deaths in a day or in a month or in a year? You have to aim for zero. And in doing so, you point out all the things that need to happen for that to be reached and achieved, whether that's technological breakthroughs or better quality cars, roads that are more forgiving, um, or the thing that, that really drives us is, is the behaviour change and the people driving the cars, the people using the road and you know, what's going on in the mind of, of the road user. Plus, this whole thing that has been kind of a recurring theme throughout our weeks of action is you know, that reminder that we are all more vulnerable than we think we are. Yeah, I think... I was thinking about it today and I was just thinking that if, if you're not willing to set that target, then that's basically saying that whenever you go for a drive, you're willing to to to, to have that accident. You're accepting that you may kill someone. And I think that anytime you get in a car and go for a drive, your main target should be not to be in an accident. It should be to drive safely. And if you're going against that, then that's not great. But but you mentioned 2022. So I want to ask you a little bit about the, the theme for 22, which is changing minds and changing behavior. And what what Interesting you thing. Right ahead, up Terry, right, so. <laughs> yeah. We have a theme of changing minds, changing behavior. It will last for a whole week. It's a whole week, including the weekend this year. And let's just explore that theme, changing minds, changing behavior. If you get a copy of the latest um, National Police Chiefs Council Roads Policing Strategy document, you will see there that changing minds is a key part of what they are um, pushing. Now, it's quite interesting, you know, are you talking about changing your own mind? Are you talking about sort of manipulating someone else's mind so that it gets changed? Or are you talking about putting useful information in the form of little nudges that just suggest safer ways of doing things? And and, and I suppose that's what you know, we will be debating a lot of that during, during the week. Changing behaviour, well, what causes someone to change their behavior? And you'll excuse me getting a little bit hoarse at this point. I'm struggling with a summer cold, Terry, so I do apologize. I realize I'm a bit croaky. Um, yeah, what do you do now? Let's think about behavior driver behavior, road user behavior. I mean, that's it's talked about a lot. Psychologists and criminologists are debating about it all the time. You know, why is it that we choose to obey some laws but not others? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? What are the consequences? And how can we be more aware of the negative potential consequences of, of choosing not to obey a particular law? All that kind of thing. You know, I don't have answers for you, I'm afraid, right now. But those are, those are the topics under the skin of changing minds and changing behaviour. And throughout that week, we'll have some really interesting conversations as we tour the country with um, at least three road trips, South, Middle, Midlands and, and North of England, plus a Welsh road trip, a Scottish road trip and a Northern Irish road trip. 
The point of doing those, of course, is that we're not sitting there waiting for people to come to us. We're not putting on a conference and, and having a dry lot of academic papers delivered in front of a, a dull, bored audience. We're out there finding out best practice, sharing it and getting people and groups to shout about what they're doing, not just amongst the road safety community in the rest of, of, of the United Kingdom, but this year in particular, we're really exporting it. We've got um, uh, the potential of a good global audience of road safety professionals and some great backing from, for example, the World Health Organization and the, the FIA, the, um, the International Automobile Federation, the governing body of motorsport who are behind it. Um, so, you know, we're uh, really pushing to, to, to get some challenging conversations and answering those questions about what works in driver behavior change i um i'm just going to give you a voice a rest for a second there james and and bring chris in on that because i think the the minds and the behaviors and and changing attitudes that's something that we see as a lot of instructors isn't it you know it's you know the 17 year olds that have seen the way their parents have driven for for 17 years and you know they've taken that on all the the I know you're not a fan of this phrase, but they peer pressure from parents. So, you know, is that something you will concur with, Chris? Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, we often talk about, it's a phrase I hate, the nut behind the wheel. Um, but the, the person driving, you know, stationary cars don't crash. There's a, The problem comes when you put a person in it. I think it's really interesting that you had feedback that said it was unrealistic. It's only unrealistic if you look at a societal view if you look at the individual view, I don't plan to get in the car and go and kill someone. So if actually, if you, it, as a sum of its parts, a, a zero figure is achievable from, from, from that perspective and, and should be. Each of us should be getting in the car and planning not to go and, and kill someone. Um, and I, I just, I was, it made me think back to uh, 2015, I think, uh, the World Bank report, uh, which was on mind society and behavior and there was an element in that that said in, in it was an african country and i can't remember which one um we've had covid since then um but they put little stickers on buses that said if you see bad driving shout out the window at them and they saw a massive drop in fatality rates because it changed the social norm which is the more acceptable phrase of peer pressure uh, it changed the social norm and, and it got results. It got massive results. So by making little changes like that to, to cultural change and societal change, actually, you know, if we start ju negatively judging people, then maybe they respond to that. If we start positively judging people, you know, do we point out the annoying cyclists or do we point out the good cyclists? And it's those things that I think, you know, it, it does make a difference. And, and I think, you know, J James and the team are doing a, a cracking job. Uh, you also mentioned, James, uh, about the week of action there. So you've you've got some added things this, this year, because this obviously happened last year and previously. But uh, this year you said you're extending it for the weekend. But you've also got a, a nifty little uh, daily quiz you're going to be putting out with a chance for some, some pretty cool prize as well, of which I've partaken in one of these quizzes and didn't do brilliantly because I forgot it was timed. <laughs> do you just want to tell people about the quizzes and yeah, the prizes the, that they can do? The disturbing thing there, Terry, was that you wrote the questions. <laughs> yes, that's so true. If you didn't do very well, 
dear, dear. Um, anyway, moving swiftly on, uh, the, the Project Edward Week of Action, yes, each day will have a theme. Monday, impairment. Tuesday, lifelong learning. Wednesday, National Safer Speeds Day. Thursday, technology and post-crash response. Friday, future trends and a kind of summary of the week. And into the weekend, very much focused on motorcycling and engagement with motorcyclists and, 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 and looking at addressing issues of, with the, the power two-wheeler community. Each day, yes, there'll be a quiz through um, the website and on Twitter, and there'll be a, a nice dash cam available um, for whoever tops the quiz leaderboard at the end of each day. So, and uh, they will be questions written by Mr. T. Cook, amongst others, and they will all be presented in a random order, so you've no idea what questions you'll be getting or what order they come in. But I think that that, that will be really interesting. We've had we've done a lot of testing of the of of um, of, of, of the quiz, and uh, we've had some good thumbs ups from it. So hopefully that will again that will be a good engagement tool and a good metric can we go and say right we want you know a thousand people a day to try this quiz or ten thousand people a day to do this quiz um, and let's see how well we manage yeah i think this will be awesome for learners it's a great thing for us as instructors to 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 give this to, to our learners you know the, there's some stuff that you can potentially find the theory there's other stuff there as well and that engaged them with Project Edward and it get, you know, changing minds, changing behaviours. Hopefully they get involved with that as well. And I think the best place to find that will probably be on the website. Well, so I'll put links for that in the show notes and that's, that's in September. But uh, we've also got something else going on with Project Edward, which is uh, we have, yeah, I'm going to say we, uh, we've rebranded the the podcast, which uh, we are, you kicked off last year and we've rebranded that this year. So it's now called, are we there yet? And that's available on all good, podcast players and you'll be able to find a link for that in the show notes so do you want to tell people a little bit about the podcast james i certainly can we have a really exciting lineup of people who will be dropping in to talk to us about issues connected with changing minds changing behavior and um, the first episode which i think airs tomorrow doesn't it it's uh, it's pretty um pretty soon um, that will feature we, we we will meet a lady called elba Toomey from um, ireland now, she's been a pal of ours for, for some years, but it will be the 10th anniversary of a horrific event in her life. The 6th of July 2012 was a day where she was on holiday from Ireland in the southwest in Devon. And um, she and her husband and little boy in the car um, found themselves head to head with a suicidal taxi driver. Um, Elba was expecting a little girl at the time. Um, husband little boy and unborn little girl died the taxi driver died um Elbert was left um with life-changing injuries and how do you get over that how do you kind of come to terms with that and, and how did that ever get allowed to happen um 10 years on she's talked to us on her thoughts on behavior change and what what how things have changed because of that collision and and she's really positive about it and all credit to her for that so that's i think really worth a listen um, we hear also from a guy called chris spinks who was chief inspector of police in norfolk and, and we've gathered a couple of people with him another a police crash investigator and and a lady um, called um, brenda holmes and the three of them discuss 
the death of David Holmes, who was a motorcyclist. Um, in 2013, he was riding his bike too fast down the A47. He was speeding, but a car turned in front of him and took him out. And that was it. He had a helmet dash cam and the decision was made by Brenda and the police. Well, if this saves someone's life through behavior change, we're going to release this footage. Um, and it was called David's Story. And it was probably one of those first social media viral things that just exploded. Um, it, and as a result, they got onto Morning TV. They won awards for, for the campaign. But we, we reunited them and just had a conversation with them about what was behind it and, and how difficult that would be for the for Brenda as David's mother to have to listen to, to, to her son's you know, final moments um, and to sort of see, you know, what effect that does have. Is it, you know, do chilling things, do horrific things kind of make you think, oh, that, you know, that'll never happen to me. Or it, it makes you think for a minute and then you forget about it because it's too separate. I think it's a really interesting conversation and uh, I um, encourage you to have a have a listen to that and also then to link in and actually watch David's story, which is still available on on, um, on YouTube and, and various channels. Yeah. I mean, I was uh, lucky enough to have a, a sneak peek at that episode and I think that the, the guests were amazing, but also uh, I, I love the way you handle them, James. I really do. You know, you, you're speaking about some very emotive subjects, not just on, on this episode, but the previous season as well. And I think you've just got a real uh, a real way of talking to people. But I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how ADIs react to that sort of stuff because the, from, from my perspective, and I'm kind of keen to get your thoughts on this, Chris, but from my perspective – it's interesting seeing the other side because the you know the ADI thing is we teach safe driving for life, but a lot of what is spoken about on Are We There Yet podcast is what happens after that. So whether it's the accidents or the emergency services or the people, whatever it is, so you know, is that something that you think that ADIs and uh, and learners can benefit from? Benefit from Chris? I, yes, and and I don't think it's necessarily learners. Where where does learners stop? Uh, it tends to stop at the driving test, and too often we get told by parents what well, they learn to drive after they pass, and they they keep learning definitely. So I I think that you know all, all of this we we all need to have that grounding moment to to just remind us where we are. As, as James said earlier, um, I I think having you know there should be a greater connection with ADIs and whatever goes wrong. In, in the future, because maybe we can be part of the solution there. We're often not, unless intervention comes in and they lose their license, that's when they end up back with us. Not because they could do with a bit of an education check. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's a, a huge gap um, that needs needs to be bridged uh, between, between ADIs and, and post-test, um, particularly when people need us, whether they want us or not is a different question but when they need us. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And something I wanted to, to ask you about specifically, James, was from your perspective, what do you think driving instructors could be doing? Because I know that we teach people to drive, but is there more that we can be doing? It's hard for me to say because I suppose the relationship between an instructor and 
a student is going to be different in every situation and it depends on the commitment of the instructor and the passion that that instructor has i've met many who are really passionate about um, embedding a culture of safety and that that safe driving for life um, in their students but there are others and it's a job and they they want to get people through the test and they want a good percentage pass rate and there's nothing wrong with that but i um so it's i i wouldn't want to um to sort of single out any for for for, for or any groups for criticism but i think the more that we can get to encourage their their students to to take it on as a skill and to see themselves as what you what chris just said you know you remain a learner after the test i mean the test is a massive thing and we're never going to get over that it is you know we, we all know when we passed our driving test and we can all recount tales of it and things that you know where we are slightly embarrassed or kind of ashamed but it's all it's always you know we know when that was we'll never change that unless the whole system changes and 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 a, and a, and a test ceases to be required so we can't get rid of that but you know this this commitment to what well, wouldn't it be great and it's just a, a pipe dream i suppose for you know for for people to to want to refresh their driving skills or their understanding or to to have the humility to think well actually i don't know everything but that's it's not going to happen is it so you know this i don't quite know what um you know what, what the solution is for that it's never going to happen that that post test training every five or ten years is going to be mandated i don't i don't imagine i mean it's, i can't see that being a, a vote winner and i suppose that's that's what drives most most uh, changes in policy yeah i think you know you're speaking about the tests there and I'm going to mention this. I haven't checked this with you beforehand, James, so I may need to do some cheeky editing afterwards here. But uh, speaking of the test and, and people learning to drive and their driving stories, um, you've got another podcast coming out as well later on in the year, haven't we? Uh, is it? Uh, I forgot what it's called. Tales from the Road, is it? Or Voices of the Road? Voices Voices from the Road. I'm really excited about that. That's um, We, um, I, I, I do some some work as editor of a magazine called Good Motoring, which is run by an organisation called Gem Motoring Assist. They used to be the company of veteran motorists, and then they became, um, then they became, I can't remember. But anyway, they're Gem, the Guild of Experienced Motorists. So that's where the Gem thing came in. Um, they have a quarterly magazine, Good Motoring, and I suggested to them that as part of their 90th anniversary, which is happening this year, how about if we go back through the archives and meet some of the older members and just reach out to lots of different people and find a story from the roadside or a story related to motoring every year from 1932 till now and and to continue that for the next decade so that we'll then have a 100 year archive that we can put aside i can hang up my headphones and think well that was my contribution quite excited about it and uh you've got you've got a part to play in it terry um as as you know and we'll look forward to your technical input and also i think your own story will will figure there too but i'll say no more because there'll be plenty more to say later in the year 
Well, I'm looking forward to that one. But again, just on the idea of a test, um, me and, and Chris were speaking before in the news section of the show. Uh, we're talking about mock tests because the DVSA have uh, sort of recently put out an email and a blog, and they've got webinars coming up talking about the importance of mock tests and almost just, I think, describing them as necessary to a degree. Um, and I think it kind of split the industry a little bit. You know, there's a lot of people saying it's a good idea. It's good that they're actually doing something and being constructive and others saying that it's yet more test focus. So as someone that is sort of a road safety campaigner, I'd just be interested in, in your uh, general thoughts on that. I'm very in favour of it. I think, you know, we'd, um, when I was a student, I had mock a levels and mock o levels and um, my kids have been through the the, the mocks were really important and it, it was a just i think a really good way of just calming them down and knowing a little bit about what to expect so um and and because you know however you slice it you can't get away from the fact that you know that's the day you passed your driving test and that is a really, really important rite of passage for someone you can't can't downplay the importance of the of the test what you just have to do then is encourage them to uh, any driver to want to sort of carry on learning and 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 having that sort of openness to to, to lifelong learning how, how we do that i don't know some people are more receptive than others cool. uh, chris any final comments or questions for james no, I'm just really grateful that I get to have an exciting birthday because uh, my birthday is at the end of September as well. And you never know, I might get a birthday present if I do well enough in the uh, quiz. Um, but so thank you very much for the timing. And uh, no, but just been a, a pleasure and, you know, look forward to, uh, to supporting the work that you do in the future because uh, I think it's incredibly important and it's the only goal we should have. So thank you. Cool. I just want to say thank you for joining us, sir, James. Really appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. So, smashing interview there with James Lockhurst. He's someone I'm a big fan of. He's making his second appearance on the show. And uh, I love what he's doing Project Edward. So, I, I know you touched on it a bit there, Chris, but do you just want to give me your thoughts on, on what James and Project Edward are doing? I Yeah, I, I think they're doing a cracking job. And the ethos is one that we should all hold, which is that, you know, we, we want to achieve the best. So, yes, I, I get what people say about, you know, can we achieve zero? I, I get that actually we're doing a pretty good job, but you wouldn't want to stand in front of the family of someone whose loved one's been killed and say, well, yeah, but we only have so many road deaths. You know, it depends on the moment. It depends on the way that you cut it. And and I think that there is a valiant effort to remind us of the end goal, which is that we don't want anybody to be unnecessarily killed on the road in any way, shape or form, which then suggests there's a necessary. Well, no, surely there isn't. So, no, it, zero is, is a lovely target. It's a really good target. It's the one I go out with every day, as I said, and hopefully everybody else does. So maybe it's just an example of how we need to change mindset to be able to achieve it is that we need to accept it's possible because sometimes that's all you've got to do to achieve something is accept the the possible yeah i think that's 
kind of what I want to sort of wrap up on here because um, uh, looking at what we as instructors or ADIs, PDIs, instructor trainers, whatever bracket you fall into, can do to promote safe driving for life other than on driving lessons because I would imagine that even the worst instructor, and I you know, include myself in that bracket, if you like, you know, when you get someone on the first lesson, you know, I don't teach people to pass a test. I teach safe driving for life. Do we? I think we do during lessons predominantly. I think that's the goal. We don't want anyone to go out and have an accident. But what can we do more? And and I think that you know, there's there's more and more resources available, not just paid resources, but free resources for instructors now. You know, my two key ones are obviously the five minute fear and the driving test tales. That's obviously helping with the the theory test and the driving test. Clearly, I am a test focused instructor, but. Kevin Tracy Field recently released a, a Confident Drivers podcast, I think it's called, and that's great for, for people with nerves. But I think this, what Project Ed would do, and there's other, obviously, road safety campaigns out there, but I think what Project Ed would do really well is, is highlight the stuff that's hard for us to talk about. You know, it's hard for us to talk about the the accidents, the deaths, not the accidents, the the, the collisions, the deaths, yeah. the fatalities, and, and, you know, this stuff. And Project Edward do that really well. James handles that brilliantly when he speaks to those people better than I ever could or would risk doing. And that's a fantastic resource. And not just the website, not just the, the stuff they put on social media, but that podcast. You know, there's the season one is out now. It's, it's called Are We There Yet? And season two kicks off tomorrow on July the 1st. Share that with your students. Now, yeah, there'll be a lot of students that don't listen to it. There'll be a lot of students that turn their nose up to it. But do you know what? That doesn't mean we can't offer it. And I think it's uh, something that if they listen to it, maybe gets across a, a different message that, that, than we can in a more blunt fashion almost. Is is that – would you be along those those thoughts, Chris? Or? Yeah. I, I think about my, what, 14 years in the industry – and and I've heard awful stories. I've ex- I've seen some nasty crashes. Uh, you know, I, I've I've spoken to people that have had either nasty experiences or, or lost people um, along the way. And the ones that I remember are always the personal ones. And and say J- James, something about his voice. You, it doesn't. It. Yeah, he, he does it better than I, I, I wouldn't even try. Uh, he, do, he does it better than, than I ever could. Um, and, you know, I, I remember being in a room and someone came on stage and they were talking about this girl that died and the big reveal at the end, uh, if that's not too theatrical, was that it was his daughter. Um, so spoke about it all the way through. And, you know, that stayed with me because it was a person. And I think we we see crashes, you know, we 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 see too much on TV that's not real, that sometimes being reminded of of the individual, the real person, is so important. And it's something I think I'm right in saying it was, um, uh, oh, what's his name, uh, John from the DVSA, Sheridan. Uh, thank you. For, yeah, I think I was right in saying. I think I'm right in saying it was John Sheridan from the DVSA that said about pointing out the the white bikes or the 
um, bunches of flowers at the side of the road and making a point of stopping and talking about them because it's important and it's it's something in front of them. It's a place that they know. Um, we have a tragic case of, of a 10-year-old boy that got killed and he was an acquaintance of the family and I know him by name. So I make sure my pupils know him by name because that stands out more. So I think when we can make it about individuals, especially if it's an individual who is the same age as the person that you're trying to teach, they're the ones that you remember more because they're like you. And the nearer we can get it to being you that is at risk. And and I, I do feel, you know, put my hands up as a driving instructor, we go into it thinking our driving is better than average. So that probably increases our risk and our threshold for what we think we can get away with. And there are probably moments when I could be better. No, there are definitely moments when I could be better. So if it reminds us of that before something happens, then we should be sharing that with everybody. I think, so the, I suppose the last thing, uh, potentially just on, on the project, Edward, before we look at ADIs a bit more, on, on that podcast, it was originally called the Project Edward podcast. Uh, back on season one, what, what I liked, and I know what's coming up on season two, Large, it's, it's the variety, so it's not just the... The, the the negative side of it. So, for example, the brilliant episode back on season one where they spoke to people about post post crash care. Mm -hmm. So, how they handle those families. So, obviously, it's not a nice thing, but it was it was great. Sort of that positive side of it. The the that's not the right word, but you know what I mean. That side of it, and it's I think it's a, definitely a podcast that ADIs could and should listen to and one that I will be offering to my learners. And again, I know not everyone will listen to it. I, I appreciate that. But if I offer it to 50 people over the year and 10 people listen to it, that can make a difference, which ties me into what we're sort of talking about a little bit and how we can make that difference. So, yes, we sat one-on-one -on -one with our students. I don't think we need to talk too much about the in-car stuff because, you know, safe driving for life. That's what we teach, not to pass a test, whatever. But it's beyond that. And... I think it's really easy to be dismissive and say that, well, they won't listen to it, they won't watch it, they'll do what they want after their test anyway. And do you know what? Maybe a large number will, but that doesn't mean that we should ignore the 10, 20, 30% that don't and that do pay attention. And I think that that's what we need to focus on. The more people that we can actually... Uh, affect or try and influence or share something with or, or whatever, the more chance you've got of hitting that that one person. So what what can we do, Chris? What can we do as instructors above driving lessons? The number one thing, which, you know, as, as a comparison is the reason the DITC has been set up, is make it so it can be found. Because that's the biggest issue our industry faces is that while the information is out there or while the solutions are out there, people don't know about them and therefore they might as well not exist. So I think with all of those things, make, make it so they can be found. Um, use an, an app where you can list it, have a link tree with your best resources on. Um, you know, if you make them available, 
it's then up to them whether they choose to listen or to read or to watch, whatever it might be. If you don't, you've made that choice for them. Then they're not going to. You're going to be right 100% of the time, which I think driving instructors sometimes like. Um, but it's not good. Make it available. It's the same as at the beginning of a lesson saying to a pupil, you know, do you want me to draw you a diagram, give you a demonstration or talk you through it? We give them the choice. Give them the choice, make it available. And if it's not the resource for them, you're losing nothing. Because all of these things from, you know, podcasts through to articles are free in that case. You know, there are paid for tools and to access. Um, and if you find a good one of those, brilliant. There's so much free stuff. If you're not sure, that's your suck it and see. And yeah. and just yeah, make it available to them and, and see what they do. Because the rest of it, you know, I've, I've had some awesome resources I just haven't used because they don't particularly suit me. Um, the, the honest truth stuff, brilliant. Had it in the car and I would use it in my way in bits of the information that I picked up, I translated it into, into what I use, what I do, um, whereas other people would use it straight. But at least if that information is available for them, they, they know it's there. Um, so, yeah, get it listed. Yeah, and I think that's key, just making it available, making it findable. And you can put it on your social media, you said, but the other one, and you mentioned an app, well, I'm pretty sure my drive time have it from what I recall, but I know GoRoady do because that's obviously mm -hmm. what I use at the minute, but they've got a resource section. So yeah. my resource section on GoRoady, that's my theory test training course. It's got theory test pro. It's got the five minute theory podcast, driving tales podcast and confident drivers podcast. And it will have the project Edward podcast on there. It's then got all my social media as well as links to some other specific stuff. So it's got like a link to the blue lights, uh, training video. I think it's uh, that thing that's Gem by Gem Motoring Assist, actually. Uh, and there's a couple of other specific YouTube videos in there as well. Well, all right, that's while they're driving, but that's all there. You know, they can go and access that, and it doesn't, you know, when they leave, they've already got access to it. So, that you know, they've, they've got it there. You can put it on your websites, all that kind of stuff. I think the other thing I would say, and I'm sure a lot of people do this, um, but just checking in with your students after they've passed. You know, why not check in six months, three months, six months in a year, two yeah. years, whatever. Just set yourself a little thing, and it just has to be just check in and see how you're doing. You know, and it's that, because maybe they won't want to admit that they, you know, crash into a parked car when they were turned out of their drive because no one will come in the other way. But maybe you're the person that they'll say, actually, I'm struggling with this at the minute. I mean, we see it on Facebook quite a lot. The students are, are the people that are passed that go on on those groups and they say, I passed my test two years ago, but I'm too scared to drive. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe if you're the instructor that chases up in six months and they say, I've been too scared to drive, you can have that conversation. Maybe it generates you extra lessons or, or whatever, but that's not the priority behind it. So just speaking to them, I think, is a big one. And the parents, you know, uh, people listening probably aware that I tend to work with, you know, 25 year old that tends to be my who i attract uh, but i do have some 17 year olds and even with their parents when they pass i always make sure i tell them you can contact me at any time i'll happily have a chat if you think there's a problem there you know i'll happily you know do a, a refresher lesson or an assessment lesson on on person x y or z and and see how we get on so i think there's lots of things we can do 
And as I mentioned earlier, I think the biggest thing for me is the amount of resources available. So as instructors, we pretty much don't have to do anything. We can just send them these resources and we can send them after they've passed. You know, and uh, the Are We There Yet podcast, the one we've just been talking about with James Luckhurst, send that to your students that have passed in the last two years. Say, so thought this might have been of interest. It's all about road safety and how you can maintain your standards on the road or whatever. I think the other one I would chuck out there is is recommending additional training. So whether that's Pass Plus, and uh, speak to Rob Cullen about that. He recently came on the Premium Podcast, and, and that was an awesome chat. Uh, but either way, whether that's Pass Plus, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say one other thing there. Everyone tells me he can't do it. Apparently, Rob says otherwise and proves that he can, so I'm definitely going to give that a well now. But either way, um, whether it's additional training in, in just a specific lesson on something that they've suddenly come across afterwards you know we we can offer this stuff to people and yes as i said most of them probably won't take it up but that's not the point you're giving them the option and doing the best you can and i feel like i've had a bit of a rant there but either way um anything else you want to to add on to that chris uh no i I think with with that i i absolutely agree um i think the um you know the 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 opportunity is always there. Sometimes you said you don't have to do, you know, the, the main reason isn't to make money. Maybe if you look at it the other way around and think, actually, I might get an extra lesson out of that. Um, may, maybe that's enough motivation to do it because I think sometimes, you know, we're not all saints. We're not all doing it just because we want to make the roads a safer place. We, we also want to pay the bills. So, so actually, you know, do that and see if you if you can have a better structure of, of lessons going forwards. Um, I find they're more fun after the driving test. Um, just the, their mindset changes. I, I, I enjoy that, and and I, th- I think you get a different perspective, which is great. So, you know, if you do want to make it about the money, then see what you can get from it. I think at the moment the problem is it's almost inconvenient because one's got room in their diaries. Um, it that makes it quite awkward. But if you can get regular stuff coming through, it's a day a week that you could dedicate to post-test, yeah. um, which would be really nice. And I would recommend that. You know, I would say start off by, you know, if you're having two days off a week, start off by, you know, allocating one of those days potentially to post-test stuff. And, yes, you're losing a day, but you're generating some income. And as that day then becomes full, full drop another day. So you still got your two days off, but you've you've now got one day doing this stuff, and you can probably expand that. You know, we spoke on the show before about offering lessons to uh, kids' parents. You know, giving a, a lesson to a kids' parents to see how, how they get on in terms of a test. So, the, you know, there's all yeah. kinds of stuff we can do there. But but just before I wrap up, one other announcement I'm, I'm going to make. Loads of announcements on this show today. Uh, but one other announcement I'm going to make. Uh, there is a, a little extra bonus show coming out called uh, the green room extra uh this is a premium podcast exclusive so if you're a premium listener, you'll be getting this in a separate feed but this is uh chris is going to come at me with a topic i have no idea what this topic is yet and i am slightly apprehensive and then we're going to talk about it for a bit and that's it now i kind of penciled this into chris has been about 20 minutes but who knows I suppose that will depend on what... It could be two minutes if I say, well, I've no idea what that is. That could be interesting. Uh, Wikipedia may be getting used. But yeah, so the the Green Room Extra uh, is going to be... Every time there's a Green Room episode, Green Room Extra will also go out to the premium subscribers. So just want to know what... 
it's my podcast. I'm going to give one more shout out. Not only do you get all those four discounts I told you about, not only do you get the regular shows around standards checks and improving your business and alternative routes you can take, uh, and one way streets where you all these random episodes that come on, and all this cool stuff. Not only do you get the free shows with San Harper, Robin Bates, and uh, Bob Morton, but you also now get the green room extra and you get them all early. Uh, so hope you've enjoyed this episode of the green room. Do you want to say bye to everyone, Chris? Goodbye, everyone. And where can people find you? Uh, the DITC, T-H-E, D-I-T-C, dot co dot UK is the best place to get hold of me for pretty much everything from theory training through to any industry questions. Yep. And if you want me, uh, the instructorpodcast.com. But thank you for listening to The Green Room Sip and have a very wonderful week. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So let's see. Uh, we, we I've already gone off topic, but either way, Chris, what is today's topic that you are throwing at me that we need to talk about? Now I'm torn because what do you think of Miss Marvel? And yeah, that yeah would be awesome. But I was going to, you know, seeing as it's the first one, I was going to kind of keep driving instructor related, following a conversation that I'd had this week. But now, now I oh. I'll tell you what, uh, we'll do the driving instructor stuff and then we'll we'll, we'll tag on Miss Marvel to the end. Miss Marvel. Oh, yeah. Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yes. Uh, uh, yeah, lots to say about it as well. But yeah, so I was having a chat with a reasonably newly qualified ADI, um, you know, kind of spanning spanning COVID. Um, so he's had a lot of experience in a short amount of time, but not necessarily the experience that he would have had if it wasn't. Um, and he's now got a situation where the husband of the pupil wants to sit in the back of the car. And it's something that comes up a lot about having people sat in. Um, they're now actually talking about both of them having lessons, which has introduced two-to-one training into the equation, potentially, and looking at whether he wants to do that as an instructor and whether the husband will be uh, an asset or, or uh, you know, make things more difficult on the wife. Um, so training with more than one person in the car, what are your thoughts? Are you pro, con? Uh, have you got ways that you've ever done it and that have worked or not? I, on a completely personal level, despise it. Absolutely hate it with a, a passion. I hate having anyone else in the car, uh, whether that's someone, whether that's a standards check enforcement officer uh, watching me, whether it's – I even hate being sat in the car on tests because I'm then in the car doing that, and that's the same thing. I hate I hate, the, I hate having someone in watching me deliver a lesson, whether it's a, a trainer um, that I've asked to come in and watch me. Uh, and I hate having people into, uh, you know, people's parents and all that kind of stuff. I despise it. I hate it. And it is purely personal. And I'll come to the, the other side of it in a second. And this this says more about my character and my personality than anything else. I hate being watched. Absolutely hate being watched. Hate being judged. Uh, I just it's a, it's a mental block. It's a fear. And I'm going to put this video out so people can see my physical reaction to this. It's no, I hate it, despise it. No, 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 no. Take it away from me. Burn them with fire. Um, and it, yeah, it's purely personal. I don't like 
anything like that. And you can probably sense or maybe get an idea how I feel about standard checks based on that reaction. Um, having said that, I have no problem with it in terms of a teaching standpoint or in as, as long as it's relevant. So, for example, I have done it a couple of times. I had a, the two examples uh, that spring to mind. Uh, so I'll say these so I don't forget to remind me. One was twins that shared lessons sometimes, and the other was someone's parent that that came in. In the on the the green room that we just recorded, you mentioned there. I think about um, people going to to pieces with their uh, the parents sometimes. Mm. Well. Yes. This parent was particularly saying that the student was awesome and could do roundabouts and, and everything. And I'm like, I'm not seeing that myself. Uh, but it, it says, let's come to the lesson and you can sit in the back. And I spoke to a student about this first and checked it with them. I'm like, you can come and sit in the back and let's, you can watch. And it's like, yeah, okay. Because he's seeing something different to who I am. And we did this roundabout. And it didn't go great. It wasn't horrendous, but it wasn't great. And like we pulled up and it kind of jumped in straight away before we'd even spoke. The idea was, I think it was like a 90-minute lesson and we're going to do like 20 or 30 minutes of driving, talk to her. I think it was her. And then talk to her dad. I think I've got either way. Um, but as soon as we pulled up, her dad went, no, 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 I didn't mean that roundabout. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Right, well, which one Which one roundabout can she do? Because she needs to do more than one. Um, so I didn't like that, but actually helped, that helped that situation because for some reason he just thought if she could do like these three roundabouts, she could do them all. And obviously there's more than three roundabouts in the world and we need to go and practice more than them. So that actually was quite good for that situation. Um, I didn't like it. And I don't offer it, and I use it as a last resort, and I don't think I've done that since. I think it is just that one time. And then the other time was the twins, a uh, lad and a lass. The lad was really chatty. The lass, I couldn't get a word out of. The only time I got any reaction from her once was, well, I shouldn't have said it, but I said to once, you did that better than your brother. I've never seen her as happy. Couldn't shut her up for the lesson. Next lesson, back to normal. But they, after uh, her, their mum was paying for lessons, and they were having two-hour lessons. And then her mum started struggling for money and she said, can they have one lesson a week, but like alternate? And I'm like, well, we can, but, you know, ideally, and I said, how about one hour? And I think, I can't remember why we did it in the end, but we decided to do it so that it's our lesson and one of them would sit in the back for one and then they'd swap around and the other one would do it. It didn't really work brilliantly. It worked okay, but you could see that the one in the back was just getting a bit bored and not really enjoying watching the brother or the sister drive. And even though I tried to engage them a little bit, because that's what we were doing, you could see they weren't particularly interested. Uh, they did pick up some stuff, and they were the odd time that were like, oh, what's that? But I think we did like four or five lessons. And I, I said, look, this isn't going great, is it? And they're like, no, we'll swap. So I realize I've gone on a big spiel about my experience with that. But overall, I don't have a problem with it. I will touch on this one before I, I, I let you uh, sort of express your thoughts but piggybacking uh, is is a, a big one uh, which is a, a similar thing again personally I don't have an issue with piggybacking as long as the students consent to it and are aware of it and I appreciate that there's a strong possibility they're only getting 15 minutes of a one hour lesson uh, or whatever it is 
I ha I don't have a problem as long as they are aware and can send. I suppose it's almost a bit of piggybacking with what I did with the twins. Where I have an issue is where that instructor is a complete dick and doesn't tell anyone and just picks them up and says jumping back or, or swap around or whatever and and then all of a sudden someone's late home by 20 minutes or someone's getting cut short of 10 minutes and they don't have a clue what's going on. That's where I think it's pathetic and, and genuinely annoys me. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, now I've held back and not given my opinion at all on this subject. Oh, what, what, a, I suppose, what do you think of my opinion? And B, what's yours? I thought you were going to be more forthright and, you know, tell us what you thought. <laughs> I, I'm I'm actually surprised, I because I love it. 